Have you ever watched the television show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Now, I think this show is still running, but its heyday was 20 years ago when Regis Philbin was hosting it. Uh, I remember being a, a teenager and making sure with my family to watch it every week. If you've never seen it, it's a trivia show. Contestants are asked 15 questions, and if they continue to get them right, they could win a million dollars at the end of the show. Uh, there are four possible answers to each question, A, B, C, and D, and contestants get three lifelines that they can use along the way. They can use the 50-50 option, which takes away two of the wrong answers. They can pull the audience and see what the audience thinks, or they can phone a friend. Now, I remember the first guy who ever won a million dollars on this show. His name was John Carpenter, and he was uh, brilliant. And what was noteworthy about his performance on the show is that he made it all the way up to the very last question without using a single lifeline. Now, at this point in the show, no one had won a million dollars yet, and only one person had seen the million dollar question. So for him to get to this question and not use a single lifeline was quite remarkable. So the final question comes up, and Regis Philbin reads in the, the question. It was uh, something like, which U.S. president has appeared on the TV show Laugh-In? And there was the four options. And John Carpenter got a bit of a smile on his face as the question came up. And he said to Regis, I'd like to call a friend, which seemed not very strategic to the audience, because if you needed to use lifelines, you might as well use them all. You might as well start with the 50-50, get rid of two of the wrong answers. You might want to pull the audience, though they might be guessing at that point, so maybe not helpful. But he says, no, I want to call a friend. I want to call my dad. And so Regis says, okay, we'll get your dad on the line. And, and dad comes on and Regis says, your son, John's doing really well. He's on the million dollar question and he needs your help. He's going to read you the question and the four answers. And, and then you can give him your, your advice. So John, you have 30 seconds. It starts now. So without skipping a beat, John Carpenter says, hey, dad, I don't actually need your help. I just wanted to tell you that I'm about to win a million dollars. And the crowd goes crazy. People are laughing. Regis is shocked. And John Carpenter says, because the president who appeared on Laugh-In was Richard Nixon, final answer. And sure enough, he was right. Million dollar winner. It was amazing. I, I thought of that story as I was studying Psalm 107 this week, because I was thinking about prayer and how sometimes we approach prayer. And sometimes we take that kind of John Carpenter approach, especially when things are going really well in life. We, it's almost like we're, we're calling God and saying, hey, I, I don't really need your help, uh, but I want to give you an update as to how well life is going for me. Like, there's a bit of pride to our prayers sometimes. Like we're, we're praying because we know we should. Maybe we should give God an update on how things are going, but we're not really asking for anything in that prayer. But then I thought the flip side is also true. If you've watched Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, you've also seen people lose on one of the first questions. Uh, if you YouTube this, you can find lots of examples. I watched one the other day of a guy who was asked a question on the very first question, a $100, $100 question. It was about a nursery rhyme, and you could tell the guy wasn't really sure what the answer was. But he, he was struggling in his mind. You could see it playing out as he kind of processed things, that he didn't want to use a lifeline so early because he wanted to save them for later. And he thought he should know the answer to this question. It's only worth $100. Surely I should know the answer. And so he didn't use a lifeline. He guessed wrong and he left the show with nothing. Sometimes I think we are in situations and we think to ourselves, well, I should be able to handle this. Why am I feeling so stressed about this? Like surely other people who are stronger than me will, will be able to handle this with no problem. So I'm not going to pray about this because I should be able just to figure it out. 
which is also pride speaking when we don't bring our challenges to the Lord. Because here's what we're going to discover in Psalm 107 today is that the Lord hears our cries. No matter where we're at in life, no matter if things are going really well or if we're really, really struggling, the Lord hears our cries. And there's something about the act of crying out to the Lord which prompts his response. We're going to see that quite clearly in Psalm 107. How Psalm 107 is laid out is there's a a brief uh, introduction at the beginning. Then there's four short stories that are given back to back to back to back. Then there's a, a bit of a conclusion, and then there's an invitation at the end. In these four short stories, which we'll read in just a moment, we're going to look for five things, and we'll see them in all the stories. Number one, we'll see a situation of people who are in some sort of trouble. In three of the stories, we're going to find out what the cause of that situation was. Then we're going to see what the people did, what was their response. Then we'll see how God responded to them. And then we'll see the responsibility that is laid on the people who have had their prayers answered. These four short stories are general and yet specific. What I mean is that they're general enough that they're not talking necessarily about a specific individual or a specific group of people. However, the scenarios that they describe are specific enough that we can see ourselves in the story. We can actually picture ourselves walking the same journey as this group of people. And so let's start reading it, starting in verse 1, Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. This is a theme verse over the entire thing. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those he gathered from the lands, from east and west and north and south. In other words, let God's people declare his unending love. Let them tell the story of how God has rescued them. Let us, as God's people, tell this story. So the first short story starts in verse 4. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. So what do we see? We see a situation here where people are, are lost in the desert. They're, they're wandering around looking for a place to live, looking for a way to survive in the desert. Now, this could remind us of the Israelites wandering around in the desert, but it doesn't have to be that specific. I think we can all relate with a scenario in which we felt like we were directionless, like we were lost in the desert, like we had no place to go and no idea of how to get to where we, we needed to go. We, we didn't know what decision to make. We, we were unsure about the next step. We can all relate with that kind of feeling kind of lost in life, not knowing where to camp, not knowing how we were going to get to the next thing. So that's the scenario. There's no cause of this scenario given in this particular short story, but we see the response of the people. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and the Lord's response was that he delivered them from their distress. And then the expectation or the invitation, the responsibility of the people who have been rescued is to give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. The second short story starts in verse 10. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, Prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. 
Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. So we have in this scenario a situation where the people are in darkness or in chains, in some sort of entrapment. And we find out that the cause of this is because of their sin. That they're in the darkness, they're in this place of separation from God because they've rebelled against him and his commands. And this is the penalty of their actions, is that God causes them to be in this kind of a place. Now, we always want to be careful when studying scripture of making too clean of a connection between suffering and sin. It's not always the case that an experience of suffering is a result of our sin. But this passage and others tell us that sometimes this is the case. And so this should instruct us that when we're in a situation of suffering and pain and difficulty in life, it's entirely appropriate for us to sit before the Lord and say, Lord, is there anything that is in the darkness in my life that needs to be brought into the light? Is there any sin that I have not confessed that is contributing to the problem that I'm in right now? And when we sit before the Lord, we know that he is faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness, to forgive us from our sin. And so if we sit with the Lord and he reveals something to us and we bring it out into the light, there's the opportunity for us to to escape this kind of a situation. It's our cry to the Lord for help. On the other hand, we could sit with the Lord and say, is there anything in my life that's contributing to this situation? And, And if the Lord doesn't bring something specific to mind, then we can leave that alone and we can experience the suffering and call out to God knowing that our sin is not the cause of this. Now, the enemy would like to give us this kind of vague and uneasy feeling like our sin is the cause of whatever problems that we're facing. But when we come to the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God will speak specifically to us about sin in our lives. So they're in the darkness, they're in chains because they've rebelled against God's command. At the depths of of this experience, they call out to the Lord. They cry out to him. And the Lord responds by uh, setting them free from this scenario. What is the responsibility they then carry? It's to give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Short story number three starts in verse 17. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. So what's the scenario? These people are in some sort of, of affliction, some sort of trouble. There's starvation. They're, they're close to death, it seems. And the cause here, again, is because of their rebellion against God, because of their iniquity, because of their sin. So they cry out to the Lord in the midst of this problem. The Lord responds and delivers them from their distress. And then they carry the responsibility to give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. The fourth short story then starts in verse 23. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord. He stirred his wonderful deeds in the deep, for he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths, and in their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. 
They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. So this fourth scenario has these tough, uh, strong, courageous people going out onto the sea, this place of chaos, this place of unpredictability, as was their job probably. And they come into this storm, which it seems, according to verse 20, um, 25, that the Lord caused this storm to occur. And so they're in the midst of this terrifying experience up and down on the waves, and they, they lost their courage. They thought they were going to die. Now, the cause, it seems like it says in verse 25, that the Lord stirred up this storm, seems like they're in the realm of, of the fury of nature, you know, we might think of even natural disasters that happen. Sometimes we as people are powerless to stand against the forces of nature, which are at God's control. And yet in the depths of their trouble, they cried out to the Lord in their distress, and the Lord answered them and saved them. And then their responsibility is to give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. You can see the parallel structure through all of these four stories, can't you? There's something about the, the crying out that motivates God's action. And we see this in other places in Scripture. In fact, if we think about uh, Exodus chapter 2, when, when we think about the, the, the defining salvation moment in the Old Testament, we, we think about the rescue of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, how God miraculously brought them out. They had been in Egypt for 430 years, most of that time in slavery. And yet God rescued them. And, and that story starts with, with these words in Exodus 2.23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. God repeats this when he's talking to Moses in chapter 3, verse 7. He says, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them. Verse 9, now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. There's something about that cry of the people out to the Lord that, that caused God to act. It says that God remembered his covenant, which doesn't mean that he'd forgotten about it, but it, in this kind of motivating way, it brought it to the forefront in God's mind and in God's memory. We see in the book of Judges five times where the Israelites were in all kinds of trouble and they cried out to the Lord. That, that language is used every time. They cried out to the Lord and the Lord provided a person, a deliverer, a judge who would save them. Uh, Hannah was unable to have a child. She cried out to the Lord about this. And a year later, she gave birth to Samuel. Samuel's name in Hebrew sounds like heard of the Lord. Jeremiah cried out to the Lord. Amos cried out to the Lord. Peter, when he was invited out onto the water, took a couple of steps towards Jesus on the water and started to sink because of his fear. And he cried out and Jesus reached down and pulled him out and saved him. I did a, a really informal count in the book of Psalms, looking for this language of cry out. And in 150 Psalms, I found 42 instances where this phrase was used, cry out. Uh, either used directly to God, like in Psalm 143, verse 1 and 2, which says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint 
Before him I tell my trouble. Or sometimes it's used when the author is recounting how he had cried out in the past. Psalm 118 verse 5, In my anguish I cried to the Lord and he answered by setting me free. Additionally, I looked for other similar phrases like save me or deliver me or vindicate me, have mercy, help me, redeem me, and counted an additional 89 times in the English where these phrases are used. Over and over and over again, the psalmists are throwing themselves down at God's feet, confessing their inability to do anything by themselves and saying, God, I need your help. It seems like the cry is almost like the, the, what I'll call the TSN turning point. Okay, some of you sports fans know what I'm talking about. TSN is the sports network in Canada. And often when they're showing highlights of a sports uh, match, whatever it might be, they'll, they'll talk about the TSN turning point. It's the point in the game where the outcome seemed to be certainly moving in this direction, but then this play happened and all of a sudden the outcome changed. I'll give you an example. 2009, the Grey Cup. This is professional football in Canada. Uh, the championship game, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are playing the Montreal Alouettes. Saskatchewan is up by two points near the end of the game. Montreal has the ball and they drive down the field and they're going to kick a field goal, which is worth three points. So they would win the game by one point if they make this field goal. And it's a pretty long field goal, but that's the very last play of the game. So it's their last chance. So they snap the ball and David Duval, the kicker, kicks the ball and it goes up through the air and it, it misses. It, it goes wide of the, the field goal posts. And so Saskatchewan is celebrating. They, they've won the Grey Cup. Like what an amazing accomplishment, except... The TSN turning point, the ref had thrown a flag on the play. There was a penalty. What had happened was that Saskatchewan had put 13 players on the field when they're only allowed to have 12 players on the field. And the penalty meant that Montreal got a second chance to kick the game-winning field goal. And you can guess what happened. David Duval kicked the ball right through the uprights. And now Montreal is celebrating the win of the Grey Cup. They won by one point. The TSN turning point was that penalty where, where everything changed. The outcome completely changed. And it seems like the, the cry to the Lord is the TSN turning point in a lot of situations of distress. When we humble ourselves and when we have the faith to approach God with this kind of guttural cry of help me, that seems to be the point a lot of times when the Lord responds to our cry. Somehow, somehow, and in some way, this cry motivates God to action. It's like the cry of an infant at night. If you're a parent and you have an infant or have had an infant, you know that when that child starts crying at two or three in the morning, you will drag yourself out of bed because the child needs something. And because you love that child, you will go to it to help. Now, Psalm 107 uh, tells us of four happy stories where God answered cries. And I don't think we can move past this psalm or past this sermon without acknowledging the reality that sometimes it feels like our cries are not being answered. Right? Have you been in that scenario before where something really challenging was going on and you're crying out to the Lord, crying over and over and over again, and it doesn't seem like anything is happening? I know that in, uh, the longer that I'm in pastoral ministry, the more I'm invited into these kinds of scenarios. Even in the past month, I've been invited uh, into some of these experiences of pain. And, 
It's terrible, the pain that some, some of you, some of us are carrying with you. And it seems like there's no end in sight. However, the, the repeated refrain here is that it is still our responsibility to call out, to cry out. Now, the psalmists are no strangers to crying out without feeling like there's a response coming. Uh, think about these ones. Psalm 6, verse 6, the psalmist says, I'm worn out from groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. Or Psalm 13, verse 1 and 2, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day of sorrow in my heart? Or Psalm 22, 1 and 2, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out to you by day, but you don't answer. Or Psalm 44, verse 23 and 24, Awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? Or we might think of the story of Job where he lost everything and was crying out to God looking for answers. Or Paul pleading three times with the Lord to to take the thorn in his flesh away from him. Or Jesus himself on the cross who quoted Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So even though the repeated invitation is to cry out in Psalm 107 tells happy stories of God's response. You have to know that the people in these short stories experienced a moment in time where God was was not rescuing them yet. Where they were in the desert, where they were in the darkness, where they were in the prison, where they were in the midst of the storm. And it probably seemed to them like God was very far away at those points. But what this psalm reminds us of over and over again is that it's our responsibility to continue crying out. We continue to cry out. Because through faith, we're able to say, God has a purpose for my pain. The suffering that I'm going through, God will use it in some kind of a way. I might not know what it is now, and I might not even know what it is later. But God has a purpose for my pain. And so our responsibility is to continue to cry even when the response doesn't come quickly. One of the things that helps us is to look back in our lives and see the times where God has rescued us. Because we see from Psalm 107 that when God rescues us, it's our responsibility to give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. So what can we give thanks for that happened in the past? Can you still praise God for how he's rescued you before? There's an interesting uh, compare and contrast. If you compare uh, biblical psalms with Babylonian psalms that were written around the same time, Babylonian psalms often move from praise to lament and they end there. So they end on kind of that negative note. Biblical psalms often move from lament to praise, meaning that by the end of most of these psalms, they are praising God, even though the situation of difficulty hasn't ended yet. Psalm 13 is one of these examples, where in verse 1 and 2, I I read to you about how the psalmist was crying out to the Lord, how long will you forget me? And by the end, verse 5, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. So even in the midst of this incredible challenge, there was the recognition that the Lord is still good. 
Now let's move on in the psalm because it, all, it gives us another reason why we can continue to cry out. Uh, verse 33 uh, and uh, up until verse 42 talk about how God will eventually treat the righteous and how God will eventually treat the wicked. So verse 33 talks about uh, God's response to the wickedness of people. He, God, turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who live there. Now, conversely, thinking about the righteous now in verse 35, he turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them and their numbers greatly increased and he did not let their herds diminish. Now, verse 39 here, almost without warning, the the author switches back to how God treats the wicked. Then their numbers decreased and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste. Now, that, that idea of a trackless waste is actually supposed to bring to mind Genesis 1. Before creation had really occurred, Genesis describes the earth as formless and void, like this place of emptiness and chaos and despair. This is the, the ultimate destination of the wicked, this place of waste. But, verse 41, he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, and all the wicked, but all the wicked, shut their mouths. See, what helps us is when we have an eternal view on how God deals with the righteous and the wicked. We know that our cries will be vindicated if our trust is in the Lord eventually. Even if I don't see the relief now, even if my situation doesn't disappear immediately, It might later, and even if it doesn't later, it will in eternity. God will make all things right. And the righteous will experience life with God forever. And the wicked will go to this place of of a wasteland. Place of chaos. A place with no rest. And so we continue to cry out in the midst of our challenge. Not sure what challenge you might be a part of right now. Maybe it's a family challenge, challenge with your kids or a challenge with your parents. Maybe it's a conflict with a friend. Maybe it's a challenge at work. Maybe it's a health challenge that seems too overwhelming to really deal with. Are you crying out to the Lord about this thing? Are you asking for his help with, with some desperation, knowing that he can ultimately help you? Romans 8.18 says that our present sufferings are hardly worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us one day. So can you take that eternal perspective in the midst of your current suffering? Verse 43 is the last verse in Psalm 107. It's an invitation. Uh, What we've seen in these short stories is two different kinds of praise that we see in the Psalms. There's descriptive praise and there's declarative praise. So descriptive praise focuses on a certain situation. So this was the situation that was going on and God rescued. That's a descriptive kind of praise. This praise often in the Psalms leads to a declarative praise, which is God helped me in this specific situation. Now let's think about his characteristics. Let's think about how faithful he is. Let's think about how he provides. Let's think about how he's a rescuer. And we did this when we studied Psalm 100 together. We looked at God's characteristics. So it moves from the specific situation to the more general characteristics of God. And then it often leads to an invitation 
And the invitation is simply this. Can you imagine what God could do for you? Look at what he did for me. Look at who he is. Now imagine what God could do for you. Which is the invitation in verse 43. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are a God who hears. You respond to our cries. And we, I thank you, I praise you for the ways in which you've responded to my cries in the past and our cries in the past. You've been so faithful to us over and over and over again. And Lord, some of, some of us in, in our congregation are crying right now, crying out to you. And Father, we ask that you would act. And in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our suffering, would you give us the perseverance to continue to cry out and to hold to that eternal perspective that shows us the glory that will be ours with you one day. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.